in Alpha this week, we started to talk about the Holy Spirit or explore things of the Spirit and the concept of being filled with the Spirit. And that's, that's what Kirk was just describing there, is that, um, that prayer that God, the presence of God would come and fill the temple, which is of ancient times. This goes back thousands of years, this idea that the divine would come and fill this place of stone and cloth and colour and things that have been made by the hands of man, that God would come and fill that. Well, that still happens today. And those Old Testament times were a type, if you like. They were a pattern for what is to come. And we are living in the what is to come of those times, even as we're not yet living in the what is to come in the future. So that prayer that God would come and fill the temple, because what happened is, this has got nothing, it has everything to do with what we're saying, so we'll just keep going, but um, is that where the temple was the dwelling place of God, this is what the power of Jesus going back, it's the important part of the gospel that often gets missed, is the ascension of Christ, of him going back into heaven, like that. That's just for you, JV. He went like that. No. <laughs> he went back into heaven because he said, unless I go, I cannot send the Spirit. But when I go, I will come to you. It's this beautiful picture. That's where we get the concept of the, the Trinity. And so he came by his Spirit so that the temple would no longer just be this place in the promised land, that the temple would be walking and talking as it was in Jesus. He walked around and he, and he taught about God and about the kingdom of heaven and then he went back in and then he blew his spirit out and before he left he actually when he met with his disciples he breathed on them and he said receive the Holy Spirit and and it was by saying breath spirit is breath and he was showing them what was to come and then on Pentecost uh, the Holy Spirit did come and he filled the temple because the temple was reshaped that's why it was good that the Romans came and tore that thing apart because there was a new time. This was a whole new epoch of history and being that the temple of God is no longer made. It's not a, no longer a place that you can visit. When Jesus said, if you reach out and touch, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning that you can reach out and touch heaven when you reach out and touch him. But now anybody gets to do that when we reach out and touch us because guess what? This is it. We, the believer, has become the temple of God. We, a human being, Jesus was the type. He was the perfect type. He's the perfect example of a living, breathing temple. And so he breathes on his people and he pours out his spirit on us, those who believe. We become temples. And Paul writes about that at different points in his letters to the church, trying to get the idea across that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, I am not my own, talking about his physical body. He's, and in, in context, he's talking about sexuality. And he's saying, I'm not my own. I don't belong to me. I've been bought at a price so that the human body could continue to be the temple of God. Isn't that cool? And so the concept of being filled with the Spirit is just what Kirk was describing then, is what they used to pray in ancient times, is that this place would be filled with the presence of God. And we can pray that every single day 
and we can posture ourselves in a way of saying, come and fill me, Holy Spirit. And sometimes that gets graphic. That's all that happened to that guy. It just got graphic. He just got taken over. But, but it doesn't have to look that way. Anyway, that's another story for another time. Oh, it is all joined. Someone just has to stand up and hook, hook, get him off at some point. Do that. Do you know when you go to weddings, and it happens a bit at funerals now too, uh, and even in places that aren't religious, they, they, they say the religious scripture. And what is it at generally at weddings? 1 Corinthians 13. It's the chapter on love, right? Because weddings is when love happens, and it's true, it's beautiful. And so we talk about love, but I wonder sometimes, like, it's just part of the wedding ceremony, but I'm going to read it today. I'm not talking about love specifically today. It comes right at the end. But I love that part of Scripture so much, I just want to read all of it. Um, it's not there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is in the New Testament. Thanks, mate. I found it. I'm just padding to allow people to look in their Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is all by way of context. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth was a fairly well-established group of people. They were so well-established that they'd, they'd probably got themselves together and organised, and they got so organised to the point where they could start fighting with one another <laughs> and disagreeing with one another. Things had become probably safe enough for them that they could start bitching and whinging about their little little patches. And, it's, and, and Paul is writing to them basically to say, you need to get over yourselves. He actually says at one point, I wish you were mature, but now I've got to speak to you like children because you're behaving like children. Right? And so then he brings in some theology and then he gets to 1 Corinthians 13. And he says this, Oh, he talks to them about the Lord's Supper, how to do it, spiritual gifts. He's talking about the fact that we are one. He's trying to bring unity in the church. But then he, he, he boils it down and he wants to get real serious about what's most important. And that's what he says. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, you know, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. And it's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it's going to pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy only in part. No more experts. None of us are experts, Paul is saying there. I've got to be careful I don't get on tangents. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I shall know fully as I am fully known. And this is it. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. These three remain. All the things that we want to fight and disagree and separate about, all the things that we want to sit around and talk about and wrestle with and then get on a high horse and I don't like him anymore because he doesn't like that stuff and we don't agree, all of these things just get... When Christ comes... When we see, we will see fully and all of that stuff will dissolve. It'll become nothing. Oh, that's a tangent. It'll become, it's useless when perfection comes. But there's an acceptance that we're in the time now where perfection's not here. But it doesn't mean we can't let that stuff to a large degree dissolve now because that's what Paul is saying. Let it go now because at the end of the day, there are three that remain. There are three things. It's almost like we can get a taste of perfection now with faith, hope and love. Now, John pulled, um, not pulled hope apart, but John got right into hope last week. And so I, yeah, back up what Kirk said, get the podcast, check out on hope. Today I want to just explore a little bit of faith and, and love is for another time. But, um, this concept of, of hope, if I'm not summing up what John said, but this hope, in fact, in Hebrews, now just like if you want to read about love, you go to 1 Corinthians 13, stereotypically, the classic faith chapter is found in Hebrews. So let's have a look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, thank you. The classic faith chapter is in Hebrews chapter 11 and that explores faith and it starts by saying this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. What do we hope for? Hope is a conceptual kind of thing. Hope is something that we look forward to and we can envision, we can imagine this and, it, and, and our heart goes, yes, and there's a yearning for it. it, it it's a hope thing and there's a, two, there's a couple of aspects of hope. It's a, it's a confident thing. And I, so this week on Thursday, I'm getting in a truck and, and or in a bus with 30 16 and 17-year-olds and, and another bunch of staff, and we're going to spend a week on a deserted island. It's like my highlight, one of my highlights of the year. We're going up to Northwest Island. We're going to be snorkeling. We're going to be walking around in the sand, floating around in beautiful, clear water. I'm, ve- I, I'm really looking forward to Friday. I mean, there's, yes, there's a six-hour bus trip and a six-hour barge ride, but I have this hope because I have experienced before, I have this hope of sitting on the beautiful white sand and just floating around in the water. I hope for that. 
And I have hope not just for that circumstance, for what that's going to do in me. I have hope that it's going to regenerate me somewhat. It's just going to be fun. I don't have to think about cooking. I don't have to think about folding washing. I don't have to think about year nine girls sitting in my office. By the way, I work in a school. I don't, I, 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 it's, I professionally think about year nine girls or year seven girls and boys who come into my office and need to talk about their stuff. I love doing that. I like doing that because I get times where I get to sit on a deserted island and it just gives me a chance to breathe. Sometimes I get to talk about those things because I have this hope of Northwest Island. In less than a week, my hope will be realised. All going well. And I will enjoy sitting up. That's my hope. And it's, it's for the place, but it's also for the place, the internal place that that will put me, albeit temporary. There'll be a time when I'm having to pack up all the stuff and we come back. All good. That's hope. You understand hope. There is a place and a time. And, and, and the reason hope, well, one of the reasons that hope is that which remains is because hope is what calls us on. We, we plan holidays in, you know, a year down the track and we have hope for that. And for a greater thing, that's what Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's the hope of every believer. This hope, this confidence that there is a place set aside for us in heaven. And faith goes well. Faith dovetails with that because faith is what is, is hope hitting the ground. Really? Hope is a conceptual idea. It's an imagining. It's, it's this we can sit, we can think of heaven, and all of that gets shaped by listening to stories of people, what we read about in the world. It establishes in us a vision, an expectation. Faith is that expectation getting onto the ground. Many of you would know that earlier this year, my, my dad passed away. And one of the, one of the uh, things that balances, entirely balances out the grief of that is knowing that my dad is experiencing right now the fullness of his hope. And those believers who've gone before us, we are embalmed by the fact that, look, this is what he lived for. They lived with this expectation, this, this hope that they would one day walk in heaven. And he gets to do that now. And, and so my dad's life was shaped around that hope. And so he could tell people he drew confidence and everything, as I do, as we do now, in the faith. So faith finds expression from the hope that we have. And in faith, faith is, is we can have... So, so I want to tell a few stories today. We're going to look at stories about how faith works itself out. Because faith is hope expressed. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that? Good, because you set it into the microphone, so you have to. It's right, and that's not true. That's not true. But I think on this point, on this point, we are. So uh, Paul is writing a lot. He writes in Corinthians, he says that when everything boils down to it, these three remain, and faith and hope. The greatest is love, but faith and hope go beautifully together. And faith, 
uh, faith is, um, I guess what I want to try and get at today is that, that there is one type of faith, but it finds many, many different expressions. Kirk just talked about Luca and his wife and somewhere in their living in their normal everyday life where they have entrusted themselves to this glorious hope, to this glorious king and have put themselves in a position to obey what they sense him say, they feel called to Atherton. So they're making plans to go to Atherton. By faith, they are leaving their country that they have known. In Hebrews chapter 11, well, let's, let's read a little bit of it. Oh, yeah, we won't read a heap of it. Um, but we'll read some. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of made, sorry, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, verse 5 starts. By faith, verse 7 starts. By faith, verse 8 starts. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham is in um, what we, Saudi Arabia, what we now know as Saudi Arabia, he's in there with, as people do, in his ancestral line. He's an Arab, effectively. And Abraham's there and God meets him and calls him out. Go to this place. Abraham's got never been there, doesn't know anything about it. By, by faith, he acts and he goes and he takes his people, he takes and, and off he goes. Not seeing it, not hasn't scoped it out, he just goes. And in fact, one, and without diverting uh, too much into that, but by faith, and in fact, Abraham in his life, he never saw what was promised. God gave him a hope. And the hope that God gave Abraham was imagining when he walked around on the, at the seaside and he saw all the sand on the ground, God's promise to him was that your descendants, Abraham, will be as numerous as the sand. And have a look up in the sky, which you only can tell if you live in a place like Debra, by the way. You live in suburbia, you don't see too much of this, the stars and the heavens. Oh my goodness, when I go to Northwest Island next week, <laughs> there's no light pollution. They're all out there. You want to hear a story about Northwest Island? Oh, this is a great faith story. Just reminded me now. Anyway, let me sum this up because I'll lose it. God said to Abraham, look at all the stars. That's how many your children are going to be. Now, when God gave Abraham, he did have a wife. But if you read the story of Abraham, she was barren. He had no children. And when he set out, when he believed in God and put his feet According to his belief in God, his faith, he had no children. And Abraham's faith got tested a lot. How, you know? So he never saw the descendants, neither did he? When Abraham died, 
he had a couple of kids and his family was all messy. He didn't see it with his eyes, never got to see it with his eyes. And by faith, and that chapter carries on. Anyway, Northwest Island, all right, it's nagging me. So one, one night, we were on Northwest Island, right, and it was miserable weather, it was pouring with rain, and the next day is pack-up. And we set up quite a big campsite up there, and um, it just sucks to pack it down in the rain because everything's wet. You've been camping. People were there last week. You're camping. And um, anyway, this particular week, it had rained most of the week. It was a miserable time. The students were miserable. The staff, I, I really found it my job as the chaplain to keep the spirits up. <laughs> Everyone was miserable. And we're sitting there on that last night knowing that tomorrow morning we've got to pack it all up and everyone's on their last set of dry clothes. And um, the, the teacher in charge says to me, um, he's addressing the students, remember, this is what we've got to do when we get up. And everyone's like, ugh. And, I, and he even said publicly in front of the students, Dave's going to pray, pray for good weather. <laughs> and I, I'm like... Right. His faith was in me, whatever that was. I did. I prayed for fine weather. And it, was, it, it had been wet. And it's, it's, un, it's unhappy times, but I prayed, God, could we have fine weather for tomorrow? And so just before everyone's settling down, they go to bed, and I thought, I'll just go out. So I walked out on the beach. And I looked up, and it's just, you can't see anything. It's covered in cloud, but there was one patch. Oh, thank God. There was one patch that was open, and guess what constellation of stars I could see? The Southern Cross. And through the night, the clouds blew away. Awesome. The Southern Cross was the only, const- only stars that God showed me that night. And through the night, the clouds blew away. Oh, I just remembered that then. I love how God does that. I've got another weather story. A good friend of mine was... So anyway, we got to pack up in the dry. And people couldn't believe it. You prayed? Did you pray? I prayed for that. Yes, that actually worked. So another time, a really good friend of mine was, was officiating at a wedding and it was happening up the coast, up at Maruchidor or something like that, up near the Maruchidor River. You know, it's beautiful up there. And um, they were all getting prepped for the wedding and, and the wedding was in like half an hour or whatever. And it was a beautiful day, but then these storm clouds just started rolling in and it started getting very threatening. And this is the wedding day of this couple there. It's so excited. These storm clouds started coming in, and my friend, who's a believer in Jesus, just quietly went and stood out there and just went, stop it. By faith, he just walked out there and just went, stop it. And it did. Clouds gone. Sun came out by faith. By faith, we prayed that the clouds would go. He prayed the clouds would go and they did. By faith, I I don't know what I prayed. But God answered and God came through. 
there's some level of authority that we have that actually, I can get right on this, I'm still trying to learn it myself, but there is authority that we have been given that we do not walk in because we're ignorant. And Paul is writing here, he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was, there's a little bit of an uppercut he gives to the church in 1 Corinthians 13, because he said, when I was a child, that's how I thought, that's how I behaved, that's how I reasoned, and he's effectively saying, you lot of children, you still think like children. He said, but now I'm a man, I think like a man, and I believe, folks, that there is authority that we, we carry around that we just are ignorant about because we're still like children getting caught up, and he had more Fruit Loops than me. And why does she get to finish the Cocoa Pops and I don't? That's what I have to deal with in the mornings, right? I don't mind because they're kids and that's okay that they fight about that. Don't bring me into your fights. Why does he get to be on a higher income than me? Why did they get to drive a car? I'm more, I go to church more often. I give, I know that I give and they don't give. Why do they get to see all that? Same stuff. Have you ever eaten Fruit Loops and Cocoa Pops? It's like that. It's fun, but then it's, got, it's just air. It doesn't put anything... Oh, my kids have to have wheat bix with it. Two reasons. Because I don't want you to have joy. I'm your dad, so you have to taste it. No, that's not it. That's not one reason. Some, Zeke says, please, Dad, can I just have Cocoa Pops by? I said, yeah, go on, mate. Have some fun. But you've got to have wheat bix with it so that it gives you some goodness in your belly and that it fills you up because the Cocoa Pops and Fruit Loops, they're just air. It's useless to you. It's just preservatives and colouring and air, right? Same thing that we bitch and whine about. Money, it's just money. You're either going to spend it on a Mercedes or you're going to spend it on a Commodore or something or a motorbike, you know? It's just... It, it, it's going to come into your life and then it's going to be gone. It's, it's useless. And it might give you a bit of fun for a while, but it's still just useless. Preaching myself here. Get over your money issues, man. Stop whinging and whining about what we don't have. This is what Paul is saying. That's childish stuff. Now we're grown up. We've grown up. So now, what are the three that remain for us? It's not... It's not tongues and whether I've got this or whether I've got that. It is faith, hope, love. This is the way of maturity. And the Bible is full of stories of faith, right? So anyway, there's some, a couple of my stories of faith. You've got your own, but since, and, and, and we should, this is what we do when we get together is tell our stories of faith, people. Kirk just talked then. The story of faith, this man's hope, desperate to be filled, to see what he always sees everyone else enjoying. For 20 years, he's going through his life seeing this stuff and he wants in and t- last week was the week where the Holy Spirit came and just laid him out. Be careful what you hope for, hey? Be careful what your, how your faith finds expression and his faith found expression because he didn't leave the church and he didn't kick his kick the cat and walk out and say, the church this, the church that, and be upset and angry at God. He kept by faith coming back week after week, pushing in, pressing in. Probably he was laying hands on people and seeing them blessed 
never having it himself. Do you get it? Abraham walked into the land and he had to deal with the issues that that brought and his descendants had to deal with it and he never saw it. Even when he got the wobbles and he went to Egypt and he did things in his own strength, even when he took Hagar, look, maybe God's promise is going to be filled fulfilled through Hagar. So he takes a wife that's not right and God still blessed that. God's so big. Abraham's faith got wobbly, but he's commended for his faith. Isn't that interesting? And Paul writes, oh, sorry, not Paul, but whoever wrote Hebrews writes, I don't have time to tell you about all these others. Read Hebrews chapter 11. It's just stories. And it's stories written so that people could understand the importance of faith and what faith truly is. Having something down the track, having this hope. And because I've got that hope, I believe it and I believe it with every aspect of my life. So by faith, which is the nature of that belief... I'm going to live according to this. Luca, we're going to Atherton. We're going to do something there. The Bible is full of stories of faith and and Christian history to come is full of stories of faith. The disciples were called to go to different places. They dispersed, even though they didn't want to. God allowed everything that happened with Stephen to get out of here. I told you, you're going to be witnesses in... Yeah, sure, Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, the end of the world. What are you doing here? All right, I know how to get the Christians moving. We'll just let those who hate me have a little bit of time. And so Stephen gets put to death. Everyone freaks out. And where do they go? They went and did what God told them they were going to do. They went to the ends of the world. Thank God, because someone told someone else, told someone else, told someone else. And then that someone told me. And I believed. And I get to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. I walk, we, and, and in other places he says we walk by faith not according to what we see, not according to what our eyes tell us. Abraham couldn't see his children, but he believed they would be there. David, there's no... Oh, I don't know. Luke, come on out here for a minute, please, Luke. Stop playing, get off Facebook just for a moment, Luke. Instagram, was it? I don't know. So Luke's the best example we've got now. Now imagine, imagine Luke's job is looking after the sheep. Everyone else has the glory. He's got older brothers set in these ancient times. But Luke, I'm, I'm going to, we need a visual, mate. Come and stand out the front. We just need a visual, right? So don't let, just stand, yep, yeah, look, look, yep, just diminutive and normal. So... So we're talking about a shepherd boy. We're talking about a kid who's growing up, but he's still a kid. And he's still looked down on. Is is David, all right? Not you, mate. You're already already swinging some big hits. You're already doing that these days. But King David was too. I shouldn't say King David. This shepherd boy, David, he was diligent in his work. He had charge of the sheep. And his brothers thought, I didn't even think about him. Little did they know that out in the pastures, when the lion came to take off sheep, this guy took that very seriously. And so he went off after a lion and would kill a lion. And when a bear would come and try the same thing, what did he do to the bear? 
We've seen the movies. I don't know if you've seen bears. I've never seen actually a bear. I've seen them on movies. The Revenant, if you've seen the movie The Revenant, oh my goodness, is that what bears do? Anyway, that's a distraction. But, but you see what the bear did to Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, but not to David. Because the shepherd boy, when the bear came at him, he took his club and he killed that thing. Right? And it was all just preparation. It was preparation. Because there was a day coming when this shepherd boy takes off, he, he takes some supplies out. Come over here, mate. He takes some supplies out, right, to his brothers. Now, stand over here. I'm only using the cross just as an example, right? Just stand there. So roughly Luke's height. You know the story, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel. Oh, let's go back there. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Stay there, Luke. That's the giant. 1 Samuel, after Ruth, right near the start. 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 17. should have written this down. I did. 1 Samuel 17. All right, so the Philistines come out. There's war between the Philistines and and, um, the Israelites. And you, you need to read it for yourself, the story of David and Goliath comes to the king, Saul, this is in verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. These are trained army. We've got an experienced king. This shepherd boy walks into the ranks and starts going, what is going on with this giant? Why isn't there a fight? They weren't fighting. They were dressed for war. They were shaped for war. They just weren't doing war things, which is what they were supposed to be doing. But they didn't. Why? Because there was a giant. Now, this giant stood about nine foot tall. The reason I got Luke to stand here is I'm guesstimating that nine foot is about the middle of that top there. All right? It's probably up. I don't know if you can see it. There's like a a nail or something up there. That's how big the giant was. Here's how big the shepherd boy was. This giant was a trained professional killer. You read about it. Read about how heavy the giant's armour was. It describes it. Do you know why they can describe in detail Goliath's armour? How is it that we have a detailed description of the giant's armour? Why? Because this guy killed him and he took his armour. He took his own sword and killed the giant. And then they write down, Oh my goodness, how heavy is this spear? Let's check it out. Weigh it out. It weighed some number of shekels. I don't know how heavy that actually is. But they measured things in shekels at the time. Thanks, Luke. Give Luke a hand. Good on you, shepherd boy, David. I'm just going to try and find it. Okay. Shepherd boy walks out, not with any armour on, no armour, just a little pouch with a few stones in it. By faith, David walks out. And it's not just what he can't see. He can see. He can see this massive thing in front grunting out curses. But his hope is in his knowledge of who God is. He's got a hope 
of God. He's got an understanding of God so that he doesn't even see what everyone else sees, what the entire army and the king could see. They saw this giant with all of his armour and all that, but not David. And he says this in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17. Oh my goodness, where'd that time go? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. All those gathered here, you big stinking lump, will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but, by, but for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. That is faith. Because he wasn't talking to a defeated army. But they were defeated already. Do you understand? He spoke into being what wasn't yet. Faith is being sure of it, so sure of what was David that he described what is about to happen. Tomorrow, the birds are going to be eating all of your mates. See that head that you're throwing around? I'm going to cut it off. He had nothing to cut with, no blade. Where was the blade? In Goliath's fist, I am going to cut off your... He described it. My goodness, that's faith. He didn't just say, I'm going to get you. Uh. He didn't say like I did. I went out, oh, dear God, please give us a fine day. He just laid it down. And Goliath stepped up. He stepped up. Whack! Down he went. Cut. Right. You lot, go get him. And they did. Off they went. Now that faith led him to become king of Israel, the greatest king there ever was of Israel, even greater than Solomon. Solomon got to reap the rewards of his father. He became the greatest king because that is some serious nuts. That is some serious stones of faith. Stones of faith. <laughs> no, that's funny. Anyway, David had faith for the big things, <clears throat> big things, and he became, Abraham, this is a big faith. You ever heard, you know Mueller College down the road out at Redcliffe? Mueller College, do you know why it's called Mueller? Because 100, 160, 170 years ago, there was a guy named George Mueller, and he was German, hence the name, Mueller. Somewhere in there, you have to read the story, just Google George Mueller. He became a Christian. He put his faith in Jesus. And so then he was praying to Jesus one day and God said, I want you to go be a missionary, go be a missionary over in London. So he goes over to London with his frau and he, he starts up a church and then he's living his life doing God's stuff and then God shows him that all the children need help. So, God, so George starts to take in orphans. But his faith is such that he just says, I'm not going to ask any, I'm not going to support these kids by my own means. We're going to trust God. I'm trusting you. And so George would pray. 
He didn't do what I do as a chaplain. I go out looking for support. He didn't do that. He just prayed. And the children came and he prayed for resource. There was this one day where one of the staff said to George, the children are dressed, they're all ready for school. There's like 300 kids in his place right now. And they said, they're ready for school. We have got nothing. We've got nothing to give them. The cupboard's bare. So George Mueller says, all right, everyone, sit down at the table. Get ready to eat. Get the knives and forks out. Get the drinks out. Set the table, everyone. Sit down. We're going to pray. So they start praying. There is nothing to feed these kids who are about to eat. And knock, 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 knock. Oh, so they pray. God, I don't know what they prayed. You said you would provide. We're being, we're trying to be obedient. You have, please provide. Knock, knock, knock at the door. A baker comes to the door and says, last night I felt like God said that I need to bake all this bread for you. Here's all the bread. Next thing, crash out the front. It's a milkman and his cart broke down. (laughs) Poor fella. He can't deliver the milk and the milk will go bad. If they, so George, is there anything you could do with these, I don't know, thousand litres of milk? Is there anything you could do with that? Yes, there is actually. Come on in. That day, within minutes of his prayer, George, that's one story. They, re, they estimate that George Mueller looked after about 10,000 children over the time. And when a child, I can't, like, I'm just telling a story here. Think about the logistics. Think about the day in, day out, children fighting, children growing them up, praying for these kids. And when these children, just purely on faith. I know I've got to get groceries on the way home today. I know what I'm going to have to spend just for my five. There's hundreds of kids. Never asked for a cent. That's why Mueller College is called Mueller College because the founders of that place never asked for a cent. They, at the beginning, in the earliest days, I believe, they just trusted that the Lord would provide. And when a kid, when a when a young person left Mueller's orphanage, he would put a Bible in their right hand and a coin in their left, and he said something to them like this, something like I googled it. That's how I know this happened. Um, If you hold on to what's in your right hand, you will never lack what's in your left hand. How's that for faith? And they had experienced in their life the results of that faith. By faith, Mueller was able to provide for thousands of children. By faith, David walked out and killed the Goliath, the giant. By faith, Gideon, with 300 men, saw a vast army of thousands wiped out because they went and stood and they smashed, they did something stupid. They, they held a lantern, they held a torch inside a clay pot. Go and spread out. And at the right time, crash it, the other army will freak out like of a thousand, three hundred against ten thousand. They're going to freak out, which they did, start killing each other. That's how the Lord works. You can't make that up. You cannot strategically plan. This is how God's going to do it. Ours is to obey. Ours is to act upon what we think the Lord is saying. I heard the story of a missionary lady 
who was... <laughs> she's still alive. Oh, no, she's not. She's recently passed away. But I heard this story from a friend of mine who, who's been investing in her ministry for a while. They visited her one day, and it was, this was in LA or something, and uh, they were driving along. Their car ran out of petrol. She lives by faith. You know what this lady did? She grabbed a bottle of water, she opened the petrol cap and just tipped it into the car. There goes water into the petrol tank. Radio. Sit in the car. Turn the key. How's that for faith? Boom, car started up and off they drove. This happened. This actually happened. My friend was in the car. The car, the, somewhere in there, God changed water into petrol. Or somehow the engine changed, changed and it could run on water. I don't know what happened. But it wouldn't go and then it did after she poured water into the petrol tank. That is stupid. If we see with our earthly eyes. That is just stupid. Listen to this, because I'm going to try and wrap this up. Faith is the practice of the economy and culture of another world. Faith, the faith that we are invited to, is the practice of heaven. It's understanding the economy of heaven and how it works. And it is practicing out that economy. That's what Mueller did. I believe in a God who has everything, so I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to spend heaven. I'm going to spend that. But it goes beyond material things. It goes. It has to do with how we are to another person. It's how we use our resources. It's how we use our time to walk each day by faith. And we've, we've, the Bible has the big stories, has big stories. A shepherd boy taken on a giant. Uh, you know, it's always about conflict, actually, now that I think about it. Faith, the faith stories come in the context of conflict. And when I think about it, we've got conflict every single day. And if we don't have conflict, I promise you, you are not walking by faith. If your life is ticking along just nicely, you're in the wrong place you're probably behaving in a way that's more attuned to the world and how this worldly economy. This world's economy works on fear. Do you understand that? Our monetary system relies on fear. The concept of superannuation... When, <laughs> it wasn't, David. It was, it was, I was thinking of a guy once, but let, let me think about superannuation, right? You, you fritter it away and then it's invested somewhere. And that works on fear, and it works on faith. But it's a different type of faith. See, we as human beings, we are inherently faithful people. To, to behave in faith is to behave as human beings. We're always... This isn't a, hey, I need, to, I need to act more... I need more faith. Jesus said, you don't need more faith. You can have a tiny bit of faith, and you can move mountains. Faith is not the issue because we practice faith every single day. We have faith in our HR departments. They're, they're going to pay us on time. We have faith if you draw on welfare. We have faith that the government is going to put money into our account because we live in this amazing country. We put our faith in, in systems 
that are going on. We're driving at 100 kilometres an hour. I've got faith in the truck that's coming in the opposite direction that he's going to keep to his side and I'll keep to mine. I've got faith in that person I've never met. I don't know anything about him, but I'm going to believe that he does not want to kill me and he does not want to have to, you know, go through the windscreen of his truck. Our whole system works on faith. We are people of faith. I have faith that I'm going to be paid on time. I have faith that the money that goes into our super, whatever they're doing with it, that I have faith that they're going to invest it because our hope is that, oh, I'll have enough super to retire on. I hope that this investment pay, you know, this is how our world works. But it's built on fear. The whole thing teeters around on fear. And some powers that be get to whack away at this and everything wobbles and the share market crashes and some people really win big out of that and other people freak out and they go on a current affair or whatever because he stole my superannuation. These are reasonable things to be upset about. They're reasonable things to be afraid of because that's the world that we live in. The conflict for the believer is one of faith and where that faith is, where that faith is placed. And so we believers in Christ uh, just behave like any other human being, but we put our faith in a different place. Are you putting your faith in the right place? Is your faith? Where is your faith? In whom is your faith? The believer looks at this. This becomes the central focus of our life. Everything that a believer looks at, this is the normal Christian life. This is what Paul writes about. This is what the ancients were commended for, though they never saw it. David, he wrote... The Lord said to my Lord, God said to my descendant. He, he didn't understand fully what he was writing. He never saw the Messiah, but he knew that from his loins, from his descendants, was this one would come. This colours everything. The blood of Christ that covers us over, washes us clean. As a... There's, I knew a lady recently who just for no reason just started to panic, just had this massive panic descend on her and she freaked out and she had to get up, she had to go outside and when she was outside, she heard God say to her, get back inside, get some prayer, what are you doing out here? So she went back inside to where the Christians were, spoke what was troubling her, everyone prayed and she was set free. Peace came, Right? This colours everything for the believer. This is where we find identity. This is where our fears get washed away. This is where, this is where our hope gets shaped so we don't have to worry about whether there is enough money in the bank or that all gets dissolves away. It, the, the blood of Christ dissolves away those blockages, those fears. This thing colours the life of the believer, our prayers, 
our belief. It helps us believe stupid things. It believes that giants can be slain by a little stone. It helps us think that just with a bit of breath, shaped the right way, the, the, temp, the clouds will shift. Okay, on Friday, two weeks ago, I'm walking down, I work up at the school, and I'd say good day to a friend of mine who works in the area of the school where the naughty kids go. If you muck up in class at Pine Rivers and you do so much wrong that the teacher kicks you out of class, you go up to the hub. And if you've been suspended or whatever, or you're on what we call internal retrieval, if we're trying to help the naughty kids change their ways, you go to the hub, right? And Or if something happened to you, if someone bullied you in the playground that day, you go and report it to the hub. That's the place. And I said to my friend, oh, you know, great Friday, what a beautiful day. She goes, yeah, we are in for a rough day today. Today is going to be tough. Why? Well, all of the admin, all of the leadership of the school are out today. They've gone on retreat to Antima Golf Club to catch a vision of where the school is going. I'm being sarcastic. It's important that they do that. But back on the... I'm glad that they did. But the principal, the deputy principals, all the heads of department, the guidance officers, everyone. I don't know why the chappie doesn't get a gig on that. But anyway, that's beside the... Hang on a minute. No, that's really beside the point. They were out of the school. And so... And that means... Now, it's not just are they out of the school. We have got a fifth of the staff, roughly are out of the school, therefore, you get these relief staff in. There was a, I met the, the step-in principal. She's never been to the school in her life. And she gets boomed. She's in this place, doesn't understand the culture, you understand what I mean, doesn't understand the systems. There's no one there really to tell her because the leadership are gone. So my friend is understandably a little bit freaked out. And this was the words, and I agree with her. She's like... Once the kids work out that, that there's no sheriff in town, it's Friday. Come morning tea when they're sitting around and they're talking, you go, you got a supply teacher? I got a supply tea. You got a what? Where's your tea? I don't know. There's, there's no teachers. It's going to be bedlam. This place is going to be nuts. And she, was in, she runs the hub. She's like this day, this is just going to suck. And so I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. We, we have a perfect storm coming and it's going to hit at about 11.15. So I just think, oh, I'm going to pray about this. So I went back to my office and I prayed and I, I just, I, I, a few of the things I prayed were really silly, um, you would think. Now you think about what's happening. There's just this bloke sitting on a chair and he's asking something to come and have an impact on the day. I was asking, and, and you pray, faith, faith means that we, we try and we, we try and plug in. Paul says we hear in part and we see in part. But faith says it doesn't matter if I can't get a proper grip on it. I'm just, I'm hanging in there. I'm just going to hang on to it. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm just gonna, so I'm praying. Let there be patrols of angels walking around the school ground, keeping order. 
let there be a river of peace that just goes through this place. This is what I prayed. A bunch of other weird stuff. That is stupid, isn't it? Like for, like for a lot of people, that's silly. So anyway, that's what I prayed. Finished praying, got up, carried on. Second lunch, I go up there, up to the hub. How's the day? And she just, her eyes go, she goes, it's empty. And then, and then of course, she goes like, touch wood. <laughs> People think that I'm crazy for praying, but they touch wood so that something bad doesn't happen. What is that? That is people of faith. They're human beings. They have faith too. Their faith is that by touching the wood, the lightning won't kill them. Idiots. How many of us touch wood? Mm. I talk with Christians and we're just chatting and then they go, oh no, it's been great, touch wood. What? Where is your faith? Where is our faith? The hub's empty. She said, there's not been one complaint. There has been nothing all day. She said, this is the easiest day of the year so far. There has not been like a day like this that I can remember. And I'm, so what's happening for me inside? I'm like, yes. And I said, well, I prayed for that. And she said, what? I said, I went after our conversation, I went back to my office and I prayed and I told her what I prayed, not the angels bit. <laughs> I still want some credibility with this lady. But I, I prayed that there would be river of peace would flow through our classrooms. Do you know what she said to me? She said, oh, Dave, could you do that more often? Oh, ouch. Could you do that? Could you pray more often if this is the result of your faith? That the whole school gets blessed? I'm just like you, you're just like me. We're just like David, we're just like George Mueller. We've got, we've got not necessarily a lot in our hands. We're like that little boy. Jesus says, you know, everyone's starving, hungry, and a little boy brings what he's got in his hands, he's got his lunch. Could this help? It's the faith of a little boy. We're all the same. We've all got faith, but where is our faith? Is it, is it to see great things? And the great things are the little things. Friday came and went. But on that day, there was no complaint. Not one. I, I'm, I'm so impressed with that. If you work in a school, that is a big deal. Where's Tavia? That's a big deal to have peace in the classroom as a relief teacher. Praise God. So, who is touching wood? Who is putting their hope in their superannuation fund? Who is really desperately hoping that the markets don't crash? or their house prices go down? Who's really worried that they might fall sick and the income dry up? That's touching wood. We're invited to get a little crazy and pray weird things. And the reason we do it is because God got a little crazy 
and he got into the dirt and the filth and the muck of the earth, knowing that he would be mistreated and ruined, know that he'd be misunderstood. Can you believe it? Jesus gave it all to those 12 and there's 11 of them there. And even as he's going back into heaven, some didn't believe. What an apparent waste of resource of God. What an apparently complete waste of time and energy of God. But it wasn't because God's faith is in you. God puts his faith in us. He put his faith in his disciples and he said, you go, I'm leaving. You go do it. I will equip you with everything you need. And George Mueller could put a Bible and a coin in anyone who left his orphanage, they were prepared. King David had a, he had a, he, well, he became king. A shepherd boy had stones. We've all got something that we can spend in faith to bring glory and honour to the name of Jesus, to walk in the economy of heaven, to walk in the economy that the cross of Christ, which was a, a supremely useless act, but it was the act that broke everything open. It tore the temple curtain in two. It made every single person who would believe a temple of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? We are, we are, faith is exercising the, faith is the practice or the exercise of the economy and the culture of another world. Amen. Amen. So, today is the invitation. If today is the day to change your faith and to realign your faith, that it's no longer in the ways of just the way us worldly system works. Today, you want to believe in Jesus and reach and put your faith in the cross of Christ, the power of Jesus' life for you. Today is the day where you realign our faith. In fact, it doesn't matter if you've never done it before. If you've never done it before, there's an opportunity to come down the front People will pray with you and you can say something and just bring your whole faith and being into line with God. It's a day of realignment for your faith because we are all human beings and we all get out of kilter and we start investing our faith in places that are useless to us. Well, today is the day where you can come forward and be prayed for and to pray and to realign our faith, your faith.